All the teachings are a secret. <laughs> but they are what we call an open secret. They are freely available, but we fail to notice. We fail to recognize um, what's available to us. So tonight, partly because I woke up at, uh, I've been up since two in the morning California time, having traveled and then spent the day in the office and this and that, I had the word rest float through my mind. (laughs) And uh, rest then translated to one of my all-time favorite passages, which many of you have probably heard before from the wonderful Tibetan Dzogchen master named Noshul Ken Rinpoche. And in this wonderful passage, Noshul Ken Rinpoche says, Rest. (laughs) Rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury in the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace. I'll repeat it once more. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace to give rest. Rest, as he would say, rest your weary mind. I like this passage very much. And I especially like it tonight, even though even reciting it, I start to drift off a little bit. (laughs) But actually this passage in spite of its uh, kind of lilting, potentially lilting us into a a state of rest, it's actually a a call. It's a a call to, um, to recognize, to wake up and recognize uh, what is natural to us because it doesn't say uh, rest in created great peace in cultivated great peace, in fabricated great peace, in prompted great peace, it says rest in natural great peace. A reminder that peace, in spite of how my mind constructs the conditions for peace, conditions for happiness, at the root of my mind's nature, my heart's nature, the very natural mind through which each of us perceiving its true, its true nature is peace. And we can realize or recognize that in any moment that uh, we just for a moment don't do anything with our minds. We don't try to uh, make something happen. We don't try to change anything. We stop, at least for a moment, being 
uh, fighting with reality. We stop struggling. Stop trying to alter our mind. Stop trying to even cultivate anything. If we really stop trying to get somewhere, get away from something, just settle back into the moment. Just even for one moment in the span of this day that may have been the worst day of your life, when you don't look ahead and you don't look back and you just let yourself be present, you may discover that it is permeated with uh, a quality of silence and peace that is completely uncreated, unborn. It's just natural. Natural great peace. So net rest and natural great peace. But he reminds us that to rest in natural great peace, he reminds us that uh, our minds are exhausted. This exhausted mind. Our minds are exhausted. What are they exhausted from? Anybody willing to say what our minds are exhausted from? Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. They're spinning. Exhausted from spinning. Spinning about what? Uh, Spinning about what? Fighting with, with what is. Fighting with what is. Okay, that's one of the reasons our minds spin. Are the constant referencing of ourselves against everything that's around us. So the, the enormous energy it takes to perpetuate the personality view, the, the view of ourselves as other than self and other. What else? Wanting things to be a certain way. Wanting what, what's often described as wanting what we don't have and not wanting what we do have. It seems like the disease, one of the diseases of the mind. So this exhausts us. But I think our minds are also exhausted from all that we need to do with them every day. All the necessary activities of of our minds. Even the very useful activities of our minds. Planning, strategizing, visioning, reflecting discriminating, discerning, clarifying, very useful, useful functions of our mind also exhaust us. And the teachings don't suggest that we stop doing these things. Just recognize that in order to discover, in order to realize the deepest need that we have that we do not need to lift out of this moment. We simply need to rest in natural great peace. We don't need to create a new reality. We simply need to stop running away from this moment. Uh, Stop running after and just settle back. 
Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. But he goes on to say, beaten helpless by karma. And when I say uh, karma, I think of all the things that we just face every day. The things that we face, that each one of us faces in our lives. Every single person here, whether you like it or not, through no fault of our own, we're born into a, a sea of circumstances. This is karma. Actions, mostly non-personal actions that gave rise to your life. And then once you were born, then your own volitional actions. And then every single action of body, speech, and mind had produced some kind of result and the combination of all the of everybody's actions and everybody's fruits of everybody's actions and all your own everything you've thought about everything you've done everything you do everything all your wholesome habits all your unwholesome habits this is what we call karma and we are beaten helpless beaten helpless by karma and then he went on to say neurotic thought which is what you were referring to brit This exhausted mind is just a condition of being born. Everybody has one from time to time due to karma. I had the good fortune this weekend. I was visiting family. And uh, I had the good fortune of meeting a, a new love interest of, uh, of the the mother of my brother's child. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> this is what happens. This is karma. <laughs> people get married, they get divorced, they meet new people. But this was great good fortune for me because I, this fellow that I met, I looked into his eyes and he had this really beautiful purity about him. And it turns out that he is a beat, he's a cop. He's a policeman, and he's a policeman in the worst, uh, the most difficult, the worst neighborhood of the city that I grew up in, a place where there's lots of drugs, lots of gang activity, really hard. This guy sees stuff every day that uh, is almost unbearable. He actually likes, he loves the work, and he feels a, a passion for it, but sometimes it's just he's blown away by it. Somehow the conditions of his life conspired, inner and outer conditions, conspired through, I'm sure, many circumstances, like I said, some internally, some externally, for him to become a policeman in this neighborhood. And this is after he spent a year in Iraq, seeing every, all manner of, of uh, horrors. Again, Beaten helpless by karma neurotic thought. There's nothing, to look into this person's eyes, there is nothing. That person is so clearly expressing Buddha nature, that, that purity of mind. You can see natural great peace. Yet the, the forms that his life have taken have brought him all into all kinds of situations that... Um, 
that have made it hard for him in the middle of working in the worst neighborhood in town or living through Iraq for a year, hard to find, uh, hard to remember, hard to know uh, where relief is to be found. It's not because he's a bad person and because you're confused or your minds are crazy or you've adopted, you've taken on a case of, mis- of mistaken identity, believing all your thoughts. It's not because you, it's because of karmic circumstances. It's become because of so many conditions. And it's interesting that he told me that before he went to Iraq, he became interested in, in Buddhism and started reading books on, on the Dharma. And they were, he said how elegantly and, and eloquently they were written, but he couldn't understand the thing. And he, his heart, in spite of the conditions, was looking for, for peace, but he didn't really know how, and he never really got the, the practice side of it, which is really what he wanted. And he didn't have somebody to tell him Rest in natural great peace to remind him that peace is the nature of your mind, that even in the middle of your particular karmic circumstances, you can find you can find peace. Peace is there. Peace is you right here in this very room, not not after the war is over, not not when you retire from the from the beat in the worst area of town, but right in the middle of it all, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought. So karma is not, oh, you're, you've got bad karma, you're, you're a mess. Karma is, just condi- karma is just action and the fruits of actions, and karma is not just personal. It is made up of lots of non-personal, sometimes called collective karma. And we can reflect on that. And even the Buddha said that not all of our experience is based on personal karma. You have to consider weather, economies, natural disasters, all kinds of things, circumstances beyond our control. This is part of our collective karma. But yet, in spite of karma and neurotic thought, we can be reminded by Noshul Ken's passage, we can rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. We can find it right in the middle of it. A poem that I often read that reminds me of natural great peace is the beautiful little the poem, The Little Duck by Donald Babcock, and I thought this might be a nice night to read that. It says, now we're ready to look at something pretty special. It's a duck riding the ocean 100 feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he's thinking things over. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he's part of it. He looks a bit like a Mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree, but he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, 
and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That's religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. I like the little duck. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing to know. I think it's a wonderful thing to know, and, and I find it helpful to remind myself to rest in natural great peace, the reminder that peace is the nature of my heart and mind. And it's the nature of your heart and mind. I'm happy to know that. But I also know that, um, that a lot of the, the karma the actions and the fruits of actions is karma that um, is just what we might call bad habits. And so one of the ways to actually support not being so blown by the, the winds of circumstances, remember the poem goes, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. We can, through our care and attention to our thoughts and words and actions, smooth the waves of circumstances, smooth the waves. We all still have to, we still have to experience the fruits of what has been set in motion before. If you want to understand your past, Padmasambhava says, uh, look at your present experience. But he goes on to say, if you want to understand your future, look at your present actions. Remembering that uh, we can smooth the, the reverberations of karma by practicing harmonious speech, harmonious action. Stop causing ourselves and others harm. That means every single day. I've been getting a lot of reports lately. Uh, and... And it, this is not new, but it's a universal theme. I think I've talked about it on Tuesday nights that as, um, as Dharma facilitators, Dharma leaders over the year, all of my colleagues have recognized, and the Dalai Lama has spoken to this too, has recognized that, that especially in Western culture, there is a, an enormous amount of of very negative, very um, critical, uh, very aggressive self-talk and that we're incredibly hard on ourselves. And what's really, and it causes us enormous amount of, of suffering. <clears throat> and that this is really a habit. It's a habit that uh, needs to be recognized and needs to become the cause of of mercy and compassion for all the harm that we have knowingly or unknowingly caused ourselves, but it also hopefully is the inspiration to begin to do the opposite, to every day of our life, every moment that we can remember, to generate karma, 
to plant the seeds of, of goodwill, of kindness, of gentleness, of, of harmonious speech uh, toward ourselves. Because this is something that we are, because we are an open field of creative possibility, we're trainable. We can do this. We can actually begin to be nice to ourselves. You know, rub our, rub our cheek a little bit. Try it for a moment. You know, just give yourself a little, it's okay. And then maybe a little rub to the heart, and then maybe even the belly. And see if you can wait three minutes before it's, oh, this belly's too big, or this, <laughs> or this heart is too tight, or this head is too, whatever it is. Just wait a minute and say, it's okay. May you be happy. May you be okay. It's just one way that we can smooth the waves of, of, um, of this relentless fury of the pounding waves of, of samsara. It's by being kind and gentle of speech. One of our Sangha members talked about tonight that they, did, they just completed another 100-day practice period with a few friends. And that whole practice period was the practice of metta. And they realized that in the, in the hundred days of doing metta or loving-kindness practice that it uh, wasn't so hard loving other people. It was much more harder being loving and kind to oneself. But that's, that's where the action is. That's what we need to do. If that's where it's hard for you, if it's hard to be kind to other people, that's where the action is. Practice every day. We are, we are in, this, in the way that it, there is this creative possibility, we are not victims. We are, we, are, um, we are creators. We have the capacity to really plant these wholesome, wholesome seeds. And if we just keep uh, clouding our mind with intoxicants or... Excessive fixation on media, even on the news, on politics, or whatever it is, whatever your particular fixation is, notice what the fruit of that is. It's one thing to be well informed, it's another to be obsessed. I'm speaking to myself. You know, when I, the fact that I can read the, all the news, the, the world news, the business news, the the sports news, the what <laughs> the social news, the religious news, all on a three and a half inch screen <laughs> tells you I've gone crazy. <laughs> but I really started. I'm starting to pay attention to what is the effect of all of that, all of that news. I don't think it's made anyone happy. I'm happy to be well informed, but it's not. But it it takes on uh, it takes on exaggerated proportions that are not so useful for uh, resting in natural great peace. And I realize when I in my wiser moments that this world that I'm so I want to be so well informed about. This world is the way it is, as Nisargadatta put it. This world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will be the way it is. And if we really want a peaceful world, 
a harmonious world, there has to be a peaceful people. It's not something that uh, we can just make make happen. It has to start within our hearts. So these are the, just a, just a smattering of thousands of things that we can do, onward leading toward um, toward not only being able to rest in natural great peace, but to stay there and to be beaten less by karma and neurotic thought. Now, neurotic thought is, as I endlessly remind myself and say here, neurotic thought is uh, the first and foremost form of neurotic thought is uh, believing that the one that we imagine in our mind to be ourselves is ourselves. To get caught in the, in the personality view, in the self-view that, that I'm so-and-so. Once we are somebody in our minds and then just start waxing about who that somebody is, we've, we've already entered into the realm of neurosis. Why, is it, why does that make us neurotic? Because it's inherent in that, mistaken, that case of mistaken identity. Innocently, we try to find some relief. That one that plays through our mind is never quite content. Have you noticed? Something's always a little off. Something needs to be different. Something needs to be improved. Something needs to be healed. Something needs to be enlightened. Something needs to be gotten rid of. So there's really very little rest in the strategizing mind, the me project. And there's very little rest in the construction of, the, of my big issue. And every one of us has my big issue. And that whole domain tends to create more tension unless we actually just see it as our mind creating me. Unless we can actually begin to tease out the, the kinds of thinking that just play through our mind, the top tunes. Ah, there's the planning mind. There's the judging mind. There's the comparing mind. There's the analyzing mind. There's the comparing mind, above, below, equal. We talk about that a lot here. To be able to notice that, to make that shift from being lost in that whole little internal drama, to begin to notice it. Ah, the, noticing the comparing mind is liberation. Being identified and lost in the comparing mind is tormenting is delusion, is the cause of neurotic thinking. Another source of neurotic thought, the last one I'll talk about tonight since I'm falling flat on my face, <laughs> the last form of neurotic thought that I want to talk about tonight is the, uh, the neurotic attempt to, um, to live forever. I think, again, it is a wonderful thing to know that a lot of the metals that are used in necklaces have lead in them. It's wonderful to, it's wonderful to know. <laughs> I'm thinking this is directly from my guru, my wife. She was fretting over my daughter wearing a little... One of the, this little one of those mood necklaces, the ones that change color when they touch your skin, depending on your mood. 
She was fretting over the potential for lead being in the necklace. And then she was fretting about the radioactive bluefin tuna. All very reasonable things to... But you could feel, she could even feel for herself that it was building into a, a kind of internal frenzy of all the things that can go wrong. All the things that will potentially hurt her, my daughter. And naturally, everybody cares about their children and their children's children. And, but she could see that it was, it, it was driven by her, her fear body. And then she noticed in the middle of the Whole Foods, where she was already off in, in a in a cat- catastrophic fantasy about the demise of civilization, she saw that other people were just enjoying their shopping. And then she noticed what an incredible privilege it was to be in this place of a- abundant food and opportunity. And she woke up out of this out of this web of, of neurotic thinking. And all of us, we all fall into the same traps. And I think a lot of it is driven by uh, fear of death. So I, the other thing that I recommend in order to truly be able to rest in natural great peace, to find peace in the middle of it all, is to every day contemplate the reality of impermanence and change. To, from the when you wake up, this would be a great day to die, if you can, because you may. <laughs> and you don't know when, and you don't know how, and that's the truth. And it, I think if we were really, if we really let that grow in our consciousness, not as a kind of morbid reflection to become miserable about, because it's kind of a drag to have to say goodbye to everything and everyone. But if you really get used to it, then it, it you really die into life, into the vividness and appreciation of every little breath, every sight, every sound, every smell, every taste. You don't want to miss any of it while you're busy making plans for your demise. You just want to live and love and rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace. Give rest. So, that's all I have to say. Um, maybe let's not do any Q&A tonight. Uh, let's just sit quietly and consider that if there's been any benefit to our being together, that we give it away freely. Remember that all beings want to be happy and be free of suffering. and to dedicate our practice to the welfare and benefit and happiness of all beings. Send a deep wish that everybody can find happiness and the causes of happiness, be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, that everyone can recognize this natural great peace, this sacred happiness that's without sorrow here and now. 
and a deep wish that all beings can rest in the middle of it all, grow in equanimity and serenity, able to meet the inevitable karmas, the inevitable joys and sorrows with, with grace. May all beings be free and live with ease. Thank you so much. Again, a gentle reminder uh, to uh, practice every day, practice all day every day, just staying where you are, and also a gentle reminder for our room rental, 150 a week, 600 a month. Any support for the room rental, deeply appreciated. And if you feel to have your any offering to the teacher, to the teacher, that's also appreciated. I offer it freely. Feel free to offer it freely back. And if you feel to offer it in a way that it becomes tax deductible, you can make a check out to the uh, church here, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church. Put Mission Dharma on the memo line, and you you can have a letter um, that acknowledges your offering. Otherwise, cash, any way you offer it. And a reminder, as a way of practicing, Donna, to use our service directory and to sign up for participating in the service directory, and be happy. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.